0: The Latter day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Latter-day Lives Podcast. My name is Sean Rapier, and I'm your host. And if you'll notice, I have my voice back. Thank you for putting up with that last week as I was getting over a cold. Uh, feeling so much better, and uh, this is episode 11 of the Latter-day Lives Podcast. I hope you all had a wonderful experience with conference this weekend. I know I did. My family did. Boy, there was so much just awesome information and spirit and things to ponder, and what what incredible speakers we had all weekend. I just feel like it was an incredible conference. I really look forward to diving in now over the next few months and kind of picking apart the talks. I know there were some things that spoke to me, and, and I'm sure there were things that spoke directly to you. Uh, we, of course, are going to really miss uh, Elder Hales. Uh, hearing of his passing made me sad. What a great leader he was. I don't know why my wife was uh, in the other room when they announced it. And when she came back out, I turned to tell her and got very emotional and really upset. He, I think these, these men and women who serve, uh, who give their lives to service, there's something about them. That's just so special. And of course it was very different not seeing president Monson there, just a fixture. As long as I can remember, um, president Monson, we just love you. We pray for you. And, uh, We support you. We sustain you as our prophet. But what a just tremendous conference. And hey, we have got an excellent show for you this week. My guest, incredible uh, performer. He is a a singer. He's an impersonator. He does the most amazing impressions you've ever heard. And uh, he is a very powerful corporate speaker. He gives keynotes to the biggest companies all around the world. Just an incredible guy. Jason Hewlett is my guest, quite literally, probably the most talented performer, entertainer I've ever met. The guy is amazing. You're going to love him too. And I appreciate him sitting down with me. And this week on My Latter-day Life, I'm going to tell you about a friend um, that I did not get an opportunity go out to lunch with recently. So uh, in any case, thank you again for joining us. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. Well, today in the Latter-day Lives studio, we've got a very special guest. Uh, Our guest today is Mr. Jason Hewlett. Jason is an accomplished presenter, keynote speaker, MC, Entertainer, singer, dancer, writer of books—I guess author is the word for that. Uh, I might—I don't know what I'm leaving out. He's a father, he's a husband, and he's an all-around oh, a mentor, a trainer, an all-around good guy. Jason, welcome to the show.
1: <laughs> Thanks, man. You're forgetting juggler. No. <laughs> Yeah, I hope I hope that intro covered enough of what you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't juggle, actually. Oh, it's about the
0: only thing he doesn't right. do. But other than that, Jason is uh, an all-around entertainer. In fact, he used to go by the name The Entertainer.
1: Jason Hewlett, The Entertainer. That, that was, was what thing. everyone knew me as, and that was even on my car for a yeah, while. Yeah, Jason Hewlett, The Entertainer. I remember Shameless. that well. Yeah.
0: So Jason is, uh, he really is an all-around entertainer, a very well-known entertainer. Has worked with uh, a lot of the largest companies and some of the biggest stars in the world, and uh, just really glad we get a chance to talk. But let's go back to the beginning, Jason. Where where were you born? Where were you raised?
1: I was born in uh, I was I was born in Salt Lake City, but I was raised in Park City. So I I grew up in a very interesting community. I was one of very few Mormons in my class growing up. Really? Yeah. Here in Utah. Oh, yeah. Park City, man. <laughs> yeah.
0: So Park City, for those uh, of our listeners outside of Utah, yes, Park City is a little bit of the outside part of the, the least Mormon population in Utah. Yeah, still yeah. is.
1: And back then it was early 80s. This was like ghost town days of Park City. So it was yeah. the beginning of people living there. And uh, and so my friends were Jewish methodist baptist and my parents would let me go with my friends to their churches
0: that's a great experience yeah,
1: yeah it was very cool yeah so i learned early on what i
0: believed yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know it's true you know i grew up going i had a lot of catholic friends specifically i went to catholic mass quite a bit and it really helps uh in fact, it's interesting you got that experience in Utah. When I was on my mission, uh, there was a another missionary and I were talking about uh, Catholic Mass or about, you know, I've been to Born Again Christian churches and other churches. And we said, uh, how many of the missionaries here in the district have been to another church and three of us raised our hands? Then we said, how many of you are from Utah and the other five raised their hands? <laughs> so there was a little bit less diversity. But where you yeah. grew up, obviously, there was a lot more. And,
1: and uh, how many
0: siblings do you have?
1: I have two brothers, two sisters. I'm the oldest, so yeah. yeah, they had to figure out, okay, how do we do something normal? Yeah. after this guy, so yeah, they're they're awesome. They're really they're some of my best friends in my whole life. And in fact, my brother Jared worked for me or with me for almost a decade. Yeah, and uh, he's you know he's always cheering me on, and all of them are. It's fun family. Yeah, and your brother is not only an amazing guy, but when he,
0: especially when he grows out his hair is a Dave Grohl lookalike <laughs> That's right. and gets approached in the streets <laughs> Nirvana and Foo as, Fighters, uh, the lead Dave singer Grohl. of the Foo Fighters. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. He's gosh, he is a good guy. Great yep. guy. So when you were growing up, I mean, you've got this amazing talent and one of the things that doesn't come through on a podcast, but highly recommend you check it out either on YouTube or on Jason You can make faces like nobody else. You have this rubber face where you can wiggle your nose. You can wiggle your ears can make your mouth move all over the place when did you and even more importantly how did you discover this
1: talent (laughs) well when you're a kid you find out that you're the weird one early on i don't know weird is the right word (laughs) for me it was and uh everyone was on the bus and at school saying your mouth is huge and i was like it is (laughs) now you're right and i'd open it ah and they were like "Ah." and so that became the thing that i was known for And then uh, at the end of school one day, uh, my my mom said, how was school? Was it great? I said, no, they said I'm ugly and I have a big mouth. The kids actually said you have a big mouth. Oh, yeah. And they said I was ugly. And my mom looked at me and she said, you're not ugly. But you have a big mouth. (laughs) So... (laughs) <laughs> she said, you're just going to have to learn to live yeah, with that. Leave it to your mom. I that's know. awesome. And so, so she taught me to smile at an early age when people yeah. would say that. Yeah. And it wasn't until I went to the dentist that that's when I realized, oh, this is an okay thing because he said open wide. And I went, ah, and he goes, oh my heck, I can use both hands. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and as he's working on me, he was telling me how lucky I am to have a big mouth and I didn't feel lucky.
0: Yeah, but your then, mouth opens up so what? Yeah,
1: my mouth's huge. And so then as he pulled the tools out of my mouth, my <laughs> lips started to move and I could control it. And he was like, that is your gift. And I said, this is my gift? Are you kidding me? You talk
0: about this when you perform on stage. Yeah. You talk about going to the dentist and yep. being able to move your lips. And you can control your lips independently. Like I said, our listeners need to go to – well, and if you go to the show notes on Latter-day Lives, we'll have some some videos of Jason performing. But it is quite – it's quite a scene. And then when did you learn you could wiggle your nose?
1: That actually took me five years um, at the so age was of was that eight, five years of trying? Yes. At the age of eight, I had figured out all the things I could do with my face and it was done except <laughs> for my nose. And so I focused for five years until it finally happened when I was 13. And I remember I was I was on a bus and I was with my friend and I looked over and I went oh my gosh I can do it and he knew I had been working on it and he screamed laughed and now now that's something I use everywhere you know yeah I love it
0: yeah you wiggle your nose quite a bit <laughs> it's like uh, for the audience just picture a bunny rabbit literally a bunny, literally, rabbit, a bunny right. rabbit with wiggling. a beard it's amazing he's doing it now and I'm still I'm still I've seen it a thousand times and he's still. <laughs> I'm still amazed by it. So, when did the spark to become a performer? When did that kick in?
1: Uh third grade. That um, was really where it started to go for me because Pee-wee Herman biggest star in the world at, at that time. Sure. And uh I could do that impression, you know. Hi <laughs> <laughs> <Hey>, everybody. <laughs> Ah, you know, and everyone's like, "Okay, don't do that at school." You know? <laughs> but, but your Pee Wee Herman is spot on. Yeah, I mean that's like
0: listening to Pee Wee Herman.
1: So that was my well, first real voice. That was your that first impression. That you yeah, pretty out. much. Yeah. And uh and and you know, other than doing impressions of the teachers and stuff like that, which so, doesn't go over well in class, no, it doesn't go. Yeah. But yeah. I I got invited by my teacher, third grade teacher. After he said, okay, you know, you're you're being a little too loud. If you'll be quiet for the day, you can have time at the end to do a little show. And I was like, oh, okay, so I'll be quiet. And, then, you know, 60 days later, I got my chance. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Took that long. Right. That long to get it together. But you did it. So I did it. And uh, when they were cheering and laughing because of the animal sounds I was doing and my Pee Wee Herman, it was, it was on Halloween. I was in my peewee outfit. And so I was very, you know, I was fully in character and it was, it was a life-changing moment for me. Do you
0: still get a rush when you're on stage? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: When, well, when the bits go well. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. We've, we've, so we've had, jeez, we've had Jeff Burke and Michael Berkland and Dave Nibley. We had a lot of comedians uh, on stage and we talked, we've talked about what a, what a drug that rush is. And then also the inevitable flip side of that (laughs) which is when you hear the crickets and how lonely and painful that is. But
1: it's a a painful thing. That's the word. Yeah,
0: we'll get we'll get we'll certainly get to that for sure. (laughs) So you're growing up, you're performing um and then, uh, where? Wh- how did you transition? You get you graduate from high school. Where do you go from there?
1: Yeah, right after high school, I uh, I went on my mission to Brazil, yeah. Florianopolis, Brazil. Florianopolis, yeah, wow, it's that's an impressive. island off this, uh, off the coast there. Beautiful in the south, and so I went to Brazil, and it was in Brazil that I realized I was different. Yeah, like in Utah, I was just this weird Utah kid. But then to realize that I could get into a door of somebody's house because I was entertaining—that's when I went. So, so like, what's an example
0: of that? What would you do to apply missionary skills with your talents?
1: I would say something like, um, "Hey, we have a message for you." They go, "We have already heard you," and I go, "I have something new," you know. And then I'd go, (laughs) "I'm the Raptor from Jurassic Park," (laughs) you know. And they're like, "Come in." Then they're like neighbors. They're getting the neighbors. Come over here. Look at this guy. And them chasing him around. My companion's like, "What the heck is happening?" (laughs) Then I'd say, "Can we teach you about Jesus?" And they're like, "Yes, we will listen." The raptor from Jurassic Park
0: now has a message for
1: us.
0: (laughs) See, that's so great, though. I mean, it is entertaining. And gosh, I'm going to be posting a lot of videos on our show notes because people have to see what goes along with the raptor impression that you do. It's pretty impressive. I actually thought of you a few weeks ago. We were at Universal Studios, and we (laughs) rode the Jurassic Park ride with my son. Oh, yeah. And the raptor comes out and sprays and then does the noise. And I literally had go through my head, this actual raptor is not nearly as good as Jason Hewlett (laughs) at being a raptor. So
1: That's very kind of
0: you. So you you learned that on your mission. Did you, at this point, did you start thinking, hey, this could be a career? Were you already in that mindset or did that come later?
1: Right before my mission, I, well, bef- you know, high school, I found out that I was a singer. So that was in the middle of high school. A teacher heard me singing in the hall. She came out and, uh, and said, who's singing in the hall? Her name was Rosalind Hall. She was the choir teacher. She's now in charge of music at BYU. Oh, the wow. choirs there? But in my high school at Waterford she said you're a singer and so I I said I'm not a singer and she said yes you are and I said well I can just do the voices I hear on the radio you know like smith smith tunnels more <laughs> and she goes, you're a singer. So she pulled me out of every class she felt I didn't need and then put me into the choirs that she thought would help me. And it wasn't until her doing that and another guy named coach Tony Ingle, mm-hmm. whom some, some of our listeners may remember as the assistant coach at BYU at the time yeah. and uh, of basketball. And what happened was he saw me and he said, I want to give you a full ride scholarship to come to BYU. And I said, I'm not that good. And he goes, no, you're not. But I want to give it to you <laughs> as a manager. I said, as the manager? He said, yeah, because you're so funny. It'd be fun to have you around. You could make a living as an entertainer. I and didn't know
0: there was a, a fun-to-have-around scholarship.
1: I never I knew this not. was a thing. I know. And then he looked at my grades. He's like, well, never mind. No, But, <laughs> but yeah, then I went on my mission and came back. And, and I met with some people that – you know, were a little bit older than me. And I said, what would you do different with your life? And they were like, I'd have gone for something I really wanted to do with my career. Mm. And I thought, okay, maybe that's what I should try. So for a full year, I stayed up all night and worked on what I thought an act could become. Wow. And... uh You know, I I mean, I was just working on my Michael Jackson impression, the dancing, the moonwalk. And then I'd work on Elton John piano music. And then I'd work on this raptor and how this fits into a show with Sloth from Goonies meets Snow White. And I mean, how does this all fit together? And that's kind of how it began. Yeah, incredible. So you've put in hours upon hours upon hours. This is
0: something I think that a lot of people don't understand with not only with uh with performers generally but especially someone like you where what you do is so specialized i think they there are a lot of people who are under the impression that you wake up in the morning and just naturally you have the entire show in your head all the talent is there you can just do everything they don't realize the thousands literally thousands of hours that go into this um it is. I mean it's it's incredible. I, I've I had one well, I've been asked this a couple of times in different ways, but the most blunt was a guy who literally came up to me at the end of a forty five minute show and said, So do you do a different show every time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, yes, I do. I'm a genius. Know,
0: uh, gee, it takes about uh, <laughs> took me about four years to put together my first one hour show. So yes, I perform every four years a completely different <laughs> show. Very funny. Um, but yeah, it's and it's especially with what you do. I mean, stand up or singing is one thing, but what you do is so specialized. I know the number of, the number of hours you put into it. Um, at some point here, I don't know, you know where we are exactly in the story, but at some point, you meet a very special young lady. Yeah. We're we're little-
1: in, we're in about 2000 right now. Yeah. That's where we're at. And uh I I was dating up a storm. I was looking for my wife.
0: And then you kept doing the
1: raptor and <laughs> yeah. you didn't get the second. And it was date. like, okay, <laughs> I guess that's over. <laughs> and uh How did you end up meeting Tammy? I went to the singles ward in our area at Poppy Lane in Sandy, Utah. And this was a revelation when I first saw her. I mean, you go into the singles ward, kind of the meat market stigma. And I walk in and I, 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 see this woman getting a drink and I'm, you know, waiting for the drinking fountain. She turns and looks and, and it was like a slow motion Pantene commercial, you know, <laughs> like the hair, blonde yeah, hair, throwing her hair back, back, yeah. back and forth. And, and I was like, Oh, and I said, hi. And she said, hi. And I stalked her for Nine months. Wow. And I did not ask her out. I became her pal.
0: Mm, Well played.
1: Yeah. Well, I've realized because every man in the ward was trying to date her and had gone on a date with her. Yeah. And she just wouldn't give people a second or third date. And I said, okay, that's the one I'm going to marry. What do I have to do to win her over? And so I started to work on myself and started to work on understanding how to date better and, uh, yeah, That's great. I went out with a hundred, girls in that nine months in preparation of getting married <laughs> to this girl that I was going to ask out. Did you tell these girls they were, they were, they were just training partners. No. They were just preparation. I, I, I mean, it almost sounds disgusting at this point, but here, here's no, the thing. No. When you have a goal, yeah. <laughs> you're going to do whatever it takes. And I'm telling you. Uh, I learned more about what womanhood is, yeah. what's beautiful about sure. women, what what a woman kind of would like or want in a spouse, and it helped me so much to go out with these beautiful yeah. girls yeah. and go, oh my gosh, okay, I get it. And you know, there were some that I liked. I went out with a couple, and then, yeah. but I but I really wanted this, had a good time. This I, girl I, Tammy, I kind of made that sound bad. I actually,
0: <laughs> I I went to probably. 12 proms, maybe 13, wow. all because the girls would come and say, You know what? I want to just have fun and have no romantic pressure whatsoever. Will you go with me? <laughs> so I got to be. I got to be that guy. I want someone I'm not remotely yeah, attracted yeah. to, and never could like, like be my in a years. <laughs> Someone who's just like my brother, and who's willing to pay for prom. Will you go with? Me? Yeah, yeah. That was my that was my lot in life. So I will say.
1: Uh, so you guys, how long did you date before you before you got married? Six months. Yeah, yeah. So I asked her out on uh, December 29th of 2000, and by June 14th, 2001, we're married. So you're you're 16 years in now. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I'm gonna
0: say one thing about your wife who, you know, I've gotten to know you guys a little bit over the years. She is the most supportive, long suffering, faithful. And I don't mean like she's been suffering a long time. <laughs> I just mean willing to, you know, put up with what it takes. The true meaning of long suffering. Like, That's right. Yep. She from Go has been by your side with this. And I remember the first time the first time that I met her, I remember her saying whatever it takes. Whatever it takes for Jason's dream. And, and she is just, gosh, she's an amazing woman. You, well, thank you, guys you for saying a great, so. I great agree. Great couple. She is incredible.
1: Well, she's beautiful in, in every way, inside and out. And I've actually, she's more famous than me because of things I've written about her. But I'm telling you, this woman is, yeah, she's supported us. And she was the one that made the money at first. Yeah. And so... She supported us while I was working on, you know, oh boy. Ha-ha. Hi everybody. Ha-ha. Mickey Mouse here. <laughs> or, oh, <laughs> yo, Lord, Mickey. Oh, <laughs> and she's like, "Keep going, honey. Keep working." Yeah. <laughs> she's like,
0: "Sweetheart, I just got home from 8 hours of actual work. <laughs> Can we yeah. stop
1: for a minute?" So, she's uh, she's amazing. Yeah. She's
0: she's awesome. And now is it safe to say or fair to say that that around this time when with legends coming up, that was a big break for you.
1: Yeah, it was huge. So uh, March two thousand one, I get this audition with the Legends in Concert, which for the listeners is a uh, is the largest impersonator show in the world in Las Vegas. And so uh, I had an audition down there, and I did my Jim Carrey. I did all these, p- the Piano Man by Billy Joel. All these impressions I could do. And the owner of this company, who is Mormon as well, oh the I did founder know that. Johnny Stewart. Mm. Yeah. He looked at me and he said, Can you do Ricky Martin? And I go, Sure. <laughs> like, I didn't know. I started moving and he goes, yeah. I need you in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina in July. And I said, Well, I'm getting married in June. He goes, Perfect. <laughs> so that was my first paycheck, you know, like constant paycheck to get, a, to get this. It was 1200 a week. And, and I'm I doing think For the
0: listeners, it's important to, to understand that Legends is a big deal. Like Worldwide this is, show. Yeah. I mean, this is a globally known, like, big, big deal. People pay big money to go see it, and there are a few different casts, and a lot of people have gotten their first breaks, and a lot of people are just well-known from Legends. Right. And so you've got people who impersonate Barry Manilow or Elvis Presley or – yep. Diana Ross, whoever it is. So you were Ricky
1: Martin. They do them spot on. So good that when I got there as this Ricky Martin, newlywed Mormon guy, it was pretty frustrating because I was not good at Ricky Martin. I mean, I had to really learn it fast because I'm in front of 900 people a night, you know, for real quick. And, uh, and then, and you stayed in Myrtle beach. Yeah, I was there. We were only there for two and a half months. I mean, it still feels like it was like a year or wow. something, but uh, while I was there, one of the acts, a blues brother, the blues one brother, of the blues brothers, he goes, You know, Ricky Martin's not going to be around much longer. You should consider another character. And I said, Well, who would that be? And he goes, You look just like Elton John. Mm. I said, I do. He goes, Yeah, look. And he put up the glasses on me. He showed me how I could create the look. He said, Can you play piano? I said, Well, I figured it out a little bit. He said, Cool, do it. And so then I started working on Elton John. And then I became. The guy that opened the show is Elton and came back later in the show is Ricky Martin. Isn't that amazing? And, you know, I've seen you do both. And you're
0: amazing at both. And you transform into both. But if you were to put up their two pictures side by side, you'd go, ah, we're not having the same guy play both. Right. Elton John and Ricky Martin are very different people. Yeah. So where did that Elton John then take you?
1: Well, it was it was then that I put together a corporate act because eventually I just realized, okay, legends, I don't think I want to do this Elton John thing every day. Yeah. And, um, and pretty soon I put this corporate show together that got quite popular where I was doing public shows in Utah at different amphitheaters and theaters around. And then I got a call from Vegas saying, we want you to headline for mm. our casino. And I was like, whoa. It's 2004 now and I'm going, wow, I've, Mm. I've had my trajectory go quickly here. I was very excited. And, uh, I had a couple of different casinos interested in me being their headliner. Yeah. That was a very uh, that was a very surreal experience. You remember this? I remember all this. And so I I went down there, thought I was going to just sign a big contract and be famous, and
0: that was going to be the end of all of it.
1: That was the end. And I'm going to
0: take take it back just a little bit. To, take it back. I'll take it back to where we first met. Yeah. Uh, because my memory of you, I I can remember where we were standing the first time we really talked. I remember. And uh, it was at Johnny B's Comedy Club, something that's come up quite a bit on this show. And I was headlining uh, – this was – last week I talked about how Johnny didn't have me headline. Johnny had sold the club. Uh, I believe John Sheffer owned the club at the time. That's right, yeah. And uh, John had me headline, and uh, they came up to me and said, we got something a little different. Uh, your opener this week, he's not a like classic comedian. He, you know, he does these other things. And uh, I thought, well, great. And you came on – and I think you did Elton John right off the bat or you did something like right off the bat. Yeah, I had thought,
1: a keyboard up there. I yeah. thought
0: this guy is the greatest entertainer I've ever seen. <laughs> I sat there going, I can't believe <laughs> that he's opening for me and I have to go up after this. And then after you were done with your first song, you did what was one of the worst performances talking <laughs> <laughs> that I have ever heard. Oh, and it yeah. was just this uncomfortable, and it was interesting to me because you were so comfortable and so into being Axl Rose from Guns N' Roses or Elton John or whoever, and you were so uncomfortable being Jason Hewlett. Yep. And you came off stage, and and I'm overstating. It wasn't terrible. It was fine, but it was definitely, it was like, how can I hurry and speed up and talk so I can get done with being Jason Hewlett and jump into this other character? Right. And... And, uh, and then we were talking and you talked about uh, how you had somebody uh, who was going to work on a show for you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think a lot of people think that stardom is this rocket ship and there are no bumps along the way. What are some of the bumps you hit in this during this time?
1: Well, I appreciate you remembering that. That was a pretty big night for me to meet you because I had always looked up to you and Mm -hmm. I was just so excited to get to share the stage and talk to you. And then I'm all of a sudden shuttled off to Vegas to go become this headline guy. And then while we're in contract negotiations, we realized that they had a different audience than I did. Their audience needed to be adults only kind of material. And because I'm not famous, I can't call the shots yet. And so they said, you know, you got to change your act. I said, I don't want to change my act. They said, we're going to re- we're gonna rewrite everything. Because like you just said, I was not comfortable as Jason. And so it was a little bit of a sloppy act. And I just said, no, it's a family friendly act. And we couldn't compromise. So I, I said, OK, I'm out of here. And, uh, and right at around the same time, I found a guy who said, I can create your show for you. Yeah. And it'll be clean and awesome and great. And I I paid him about 100 grand to help me and this was in Vegas and uh you know 6 months later I had you remember this I had 5 minutes what? worth of material. And I came to your house. Uh I had, believe it was had January. He ripped
0: you off. He had taken your money.
1: January 20, 2005. And I yeah. I came to your house and I was like I'm going to go get a real job. I'm going to go to Wendy's, which is there's nothing wrong with Wendy's. Yeah but I'm going to go get a job there. And you said, no, you're not. You said, we're going to write your show. Yeah. And you took all my impressions and turned it into an incredible show that I performed in that variation and pattern for the next seven years. Hmm. Did you, you know that, right? Yeah. I mean, well,
0: I, I know we did a lot of writing. I'll tell you what I treasure from that time was that you were, you came back so broken.
1: Oh yeah.
0: And you had asked, "Hey, you know, I said I said let's work on a show. Let's write a show together." And you came over and instead we had like four straight nights of psychiatry <laughs> it sessions, was,
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> because you were the most talented person I had ever met in my life. And I mean, I've met a lot of talented guys. Well, yeah. But you had more raw talent than anybody, and I'm not just saying that. Uh, but I remember you were broken. And I think that the reason I want to bring this up is I I think it's important that the listeners hear that because I think that a lot of people hit their bump. They start to pursue a dream and then, you know, maybe it's something athletic and they get injured or something career and they get passed up and they think, well, my heroes all had a rocket ship, (laughs) you know, you know, he went from, you know, this to suddenly he's a star. Yeah. And you had a huge bump there. Yeah, and I remember you talking about I can't have my wife keep working. You were and you were on this precipice, like you could tell that you were just about to completely blow up and we could all see it. you know, Tammy could see it. I could see it, we could all see it. And again, it was like you you had a hard time seeing that. And we ended up writing together. Uh, I will tell you, I've got to tell the listeners my favorite experience writing with you. I know it's one that you remember, Jason. We were we wrote a lot of stuff together. We actually wrote quite a quite a bit together and those were some of my favorite times. Uh, but absolutely hands down the best. I had Anne Marie Saint Felix or sorry, Anne Marie Otanias, uh, last week from the Mormon Tabernacle cool. Choir.
1: Yeah.
0: And I talked about my singing prowess. <laughs> And what a fantastic singer I am! And we were working on a bit, and I don't remember what it was because it was all I,
1: comedy. We're all trying to do comedy. Yeah, here.
0: I was just, yeah. I was just trying to write comedy stuff with you. But, uh, but, uh, but I said you sang a line, and I said no, no, no. It'd be much better if you sang it like this. And then I sang the line, and you said, uh, uh, "You mean uh, with terrible timing and completely out of key." <laughs> <laughs>
1: i thought that's what you wanted me to do
0: <laughs> that's very yeah funny. and i said no other than that the inflection the timing. <laughs> shut up never mind let's go back to writing jokes <laughs> but then all of a sudden you took off and the reason also that i wanted to bring this up is that you have a pattern in your life that i have always respected more than you would believe. Like you came back. It was funny. We were talking about writing jokes and you were like, well, what would you charge me? And I remember thinking, didn't you just get done telling me you have zero money whatsoever? I know, I know. <laughs> and so I said, you know, nothing, let's just write. And I, I enjoy writing. And I said, if there's ever an opportunity later, uh, you know, great. You've spent the next, well, that was 2005. So the next nine years, whatever, Every gig that you couldn't take, didn't take, didn't want, whatever, I'd get these phone calls of people saying, hey, Jason can't do our gig, but he recommended you. And I made uh, very literally probably 25 or 50 times what the most is that I would have ever in a million years charged you. But you have that in you. You have done that now for so many performers. I'd get calls from guys Who would call me up and say, I was just talking to Jason and I've got, you know, I'm a singer or whatever, but I can't put together a full show. And Jason said, maybe you could help me. You are
1: always looking to help people. Where does that come from? I think probably, I appreciate it, Sean. Uh, I think probably from the fact that everyone I reached out to at the beginning wouldn't help me. And I thought, if there was a way that I could talk to a Sammy Davis Jr., or a Jim Carrey or Robin Williams or Billy Joel. If if these guys would just call me back, they never would. Yeah. And so everybody that contacts me, I'll say, okay, I may not be the best guy for this, but I have somebody that I think could help you. And I always want to be helpful. But it comes back to that time where I thought I was going to be a millionaire at the age of, what, 23, 24 yeah. as a headliner in Vegas And within six months, I had lost a hundred grand, and had no money left. I had borrowed the money and been taken by this producer. We just started building a house in Daybreak in South Jordan, which was a brand new community. I was ruined.
0: Yeah, you were. You were at your lowest.
1: I was at my lowest, and the fact that you, you know, were like, "Oh no, man, you don't need to charge. I'm not going to take your money." (laughs)
0: But there were a lot of people. I mean, it wasn't just me. There were a lot of people. You had a lot of people who rallied people came to your defense, and yep. I mean, there were and 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 a few characters in there too. <laughs> I mean, you you had some funny people come in and out of your life. Oh yeah, at that time, and uh, but you had you had a lot of people who did step up. But there is, you know, there are some amazing people in this industry of entertainment, and especially here in Utah. But there are also people who just, if I help you, you might pass me, and so I don't want to help you. Yeah. You know, I don't want to talk to you because I need to make sure I'm better than you. And you have never been that guy. You have always been the guy. And I'll tell you, some of the top performers in Utah, I mean 10, 15, 20, maybe more of them, will tell you they gotta start because of Jason Hewlett. Mm. And so you've carried that uh, you've carried that humility with you in just in an amazing way. So so we'll kind of jump forward. I mean, things really did. Things took off for you. Like suddenly you're charging more and more and more. And I'm, you know, you and I were hanging out a little bit less as life got busy. And but when we would catch up, you'd go, oh, yeah, I'm about to get on this guy's private jet. And I'm flying out to this place to, you know, perform for these people and whatever. I mean, it really took off, which afforded you some really special experiences. And I'll bring up just a few. Uh, Tell us a little bit about uh, touring the Middle East with David Archuleta.
1: Yeah, that was unbelievable life changer. Uh, that was two thousand fourteen, and uh, I got a call from Dan Clark, considered one of the greatest speakers in the world, Speaker Hall of Fame, and uh, his his cousin Dean Kalin was the vocal coach of the Stars. Ooh. So these are all Mormon guys out of Salt Lake. And Dean Kalin said, "Hey, David Archuleta is coming off his mission, and he's willing to come with us on this Middle East tour." And I said, "Well, where are we going?" They said. We're going to Afghanistan. It's not just the Middle East. We're going to Southwest Asia. <laughs> and I was like, isn't there a war there? And they go, yeah, actually, no one will go and perform there right now because it's too dangerous. So wow. that's why we want to go. And I said to my wife, we were going to drive across country that year as a family trip. And I said, this is the one opportunity I may ever get to perform for the troops. I have to do this. And she said, okay. Okay. Just like you say, yeah, she's, she's always that's been... That's Tammy, yeah. yeah. she says, well, okay. Okay. And so I made sure the insurance was uh, to date. <laughs> Cranked up the life insurance. <laughs> yeah. And we went for almost a month on the road. And uh, well, really in the air because we were in Chinooks because they're flying over bombed out roads for us to go and perform at all the different fobs and bases in Afghanistan. And uh we went to we went to Kuwait. We went to Addis Ababa, Djibouti, Bahrain. I mean it was and You're performing a, for the military guys. Yeah, I'm performing for free for these guys and they're saying to me, "You're my hero." And I'm saying, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> oh man. "You're my hero for coming here and performing for us." And yeah. I'm like, "No. Gosh. You have no idea what you're saying. Oh, this awesome. is the great honor of my life." Yeah. It was so special, and to watch David Archuleta, who has such a gift, yeah, uh, take a song that's a normal song and turn it into like something that will make you cry every time.
0: And it was it's really just special. you, Dan, and David. Yeah, that and was
1: it. and Dean was playing the piano, and Dean was David. playing, yeah. And so it and was you had great. the
0: opportunity not only to perform. This was not an LDS tour or You were no. performing for a lot of soldiers, but then you also had the opportunity to do a fireside.
1: Oh, yeah. We did a couple firesides. Yeah. How are those? I
0: mean, performing doing a fireside for LDS soldiers, what's that experience like? You're in a war zone area.
1: Yeah. You're not dressed in a special outfit of of any kind. You're just standing there in your grubs. Yeah. And it's not really just an LDS group. It's it's inner faith. So... you're a, you're not making it just specific to that. So it was a very interesting experience but certainly obviously something we could all do. Yeah. And yeah, Incredible. it was very special to watch, you know, people crying when you were testifying about serving a mission and other things like that. Mm. It's awesome. Yeah, it, it afforded you a lot of
0: opportunities. You've uh performed for Bill Gates. Yeah. Personally,
1: yeah, not just you and Bill.
0: As an old pal. I mean, there were there were quite a few people, but I mean you've performed for a lot of celebrities now. You've been flown out to Europe to perform. I mean, you've kind of had this incredible incredible life. But my favorite thing is that over the years as I've gotten busy with other things, we usually keep in touch by texts. My favorite thing is you still text me every time you have a bad gig. <laughs> <laughs> every other night. No, oh, no, not at all. But if uh, do you do you have a worst gig? Do you have an, uh, do you have a memory of that one most painful time on stage? <laughs> there
1: are so many, Sean. <laughs> there are not. Why, Why do we break this? There open. are not. Okay, worst gig ever. 2002 Olympics. They call me and I'm so excited. I'm performing for the Olympics. Yes. Do you remember this story? I do. I know exactly what And they go, is. we need it to be for free because we don't have any money. I said, sure. Who's it for? They said, the athletes. I said, awesome. Where? They said, at the University of Utah. So my wife and I went there. We dragged a sound system in. And I when I got to the building, I was like, there's no way this can be the place. Because it was the dorms. <laughs> <laughs> I was at one side of the hall at one end. And this was the dorms for Japanese, Norwegian, German, not one English speaking group. (laughs) (laughs) And at that point, you know, I was mostly doing comedy stuff. And this was where I'm sitting there looking at my wife as nobody's watching. And they would occasionally poke their heads out the door to look and see who's this annoying guy trying to be Jim Carrey. And uh, I said, I think I'm done. You know, I think I may need to quit after that. It was that Just, devastating. It was that bad. They're poking their
0: heads out of dorms. Yeah. To see you. Yeah.
1: That was that was pretty bad. I mean, I've I've played the piano in a bathroom because there wasn't room in the hallway. So <laughs> we <we've>, felt <laughs> like for funerals. Like I've yeah. done all kinds of weird yeah. gigs. It's that was the worst one I, I think yeah. probably ever.
0: And this is what's amazing to you know, you were willing to pay those prices. Oh, yeah. And now, you know, every gig you do, you've got big mega screens behind you and you've got literally thousands. I'm trying to impress on the listener to understand what you do now. I mean, now you are literally in front of groups of between several hundred to thousands and thousands of people with your name and big lights and companies have you year after year after year. You There's a Utah based company, um, but that's a global company called Unique. That uh, I know on Facebook, you are the biggest celebrity at Unique. I mean, (laughs) you know, when you hear the comments after that, that all the Unique reps uh, write, I mean, you really are a star for all these people. One of the things that we've talked about many times is, you know, you were a. Uh, you were an impressionist or whatever you want to call it. You were doing impressions and then you were doing a lot of comedy and then it was, well, maybe I want to be like an MC yeah, or, you know, whatever. And then you nailed it. You, you were like the, the best at impressions. And then you got into comedy. You were the best comedy performer. Then you wanted to be a singer and you became the best singer. And then it was, I'm going to be an MC. I'm going to be a host. Uh, and now you do a lot of keynote speaking and, one of the things that's always impressed me about you is this relentless lack of just being satisfied. Where does that come from? Where you feel like you always need to do the next thing. How, how did that come about? Is that innate or is that based on an experience?
1: That's an interesting question uh, and I appreciate it. Uh, I would say the fact that I was not good at anything at school mm. was very helpful for this drive. Does that make sense? Do you feel like
0: you still have a chip on your shoulder for the kids who said you're ugly, you have a big oh, mouth, and yeah. you're going nowhere?
1: Totally. Yeah. I've forgiven them. Sure. But they drive it. Because yeah. I, I, I've i received messages over the last few years from people that used to you know, throw things at me and hit me when I would be practicing or running by with my basketball. Because I was a basketball player. And they would... They would throw rocks at me while I dro- while I dribbled by their house yep. and laughed at me. Mormon kids in my neighborhood. Mm. They've since reached out and said how proud we are of you and and mm. you know. And I just go, oh man, <laughs> <laughs> swing by the house. I got a basketball. I'd like to throw at your head. <laughs> so there's a very interesting level of forgiveness I've had to learn while still being driven without being hateful. Yeah. But I think that where a lot of people say, oh, you're such a humble guy, you know. And uh, you are. I want the (laughs) listeners to understand. We
0: can talk about you entertaining for thousands upon thousands, getting paid ridiculous sums of money, your name in lights, people fainting when they see you on stage. (laughs) You are still about the most humble guy I know and one of the best guys. And the listeners need to understand that. You have this almost strange. Like it, it almost bothers me how what a humility you have about yourself. You've found this real blend. It's like you've let this this kid who was made fun of by other kids drive you, but you've kept the humility from it. And I don't think a lot uh, of people can do that.
1: Well, I guess it's a healthy dose of humility with supreme confidence on the other end for some reason. Yeah. The reason is, and the bridge is the savior. Mm. That's it. Yeah. I know this is true. I know what I do is I am a messenger of joy. I ignite joy in people quickly. Mm. That's what I'm about. And so I have to have extreme humility in in one sense to say, every crowd might hate me mm. <laughs> or this might not work. And I'm going to try to be Jason Hewlett.
0: Yeah.
1: On the other end, I have to be so confident that I can say, well, I deserve to be in front of 10,000 people with my name in lights, with... You know, a full hour in front of these famous people. Okay, well, how? Where does that come from? That only comes from Christ.
0: Yeah, uh, and I think that's the perspective that that keeps you successful and and going. Um, and now you're you're in the speaking hall of fame. You're like hall of you're literally a hall of fame speaker.
1: <laughs> it's very odd.
0: T- tell us what the promise is, and how did oh, it come about?
1: Well, the promise is my message to. Uh, really just encapsulate everything I've always tried to put out there. So I've, I've talked about signature moves, the things that make us mm-hmm. stand out in a sit down world and other cool ideas, concepts. But the promise is special to me because I say, you know, there's a power inside of you and it's the power of unspoken promises. Mm. You may not even realize which promises you've made. But if you understand which ones you have made and you keep them, you will be successful. And what is the price you pay if you're not keeping Mm. those promises? So I'll talk about the promise to our customer, to our audience as a performer, to our family at work, family at home, and to the one. In the sense of a corporate event, I'll be talking about the one is you. What kind of promises you keep to yourself? But when I'm in a religious setting where I get the chance to go there, I say the one is God. Yeah. think of the promises he's made and all we have to do is just hang in there <laughs> and and you've
0: gotten to take this to a religious message as well by doing you know you now do quite a few uh, firesides things like that you got to put together a dvd with hank smith right how'd that come about
1: oh it was great a friend of mine introduced me and uh next thing we know we're recording this cool thing with hank because hank has a huge name everybody loves this guy and nobody knew who i am and and because i'm doing these corporate dates and so they said well if we combine your name with hank then everyone can be introduced to you Mm. so that was a neat project
0: yeah hank smith is like the name the name in youth speaking and it well generally deservedly so just in in the LDS sphere, he's just incredible. Yeah, so talented. I well, mean, so yeah. great, unbelievable. And you guys together, I mean, that's just power.
1: It was fun, and you know, he's he's my superior in every way.
0: Uh, I wouldn't no, say that, but
1: no, but truly, I mean, I watch him and I go, oh my gosh, how did he just do that? Because it's funny, and he's teaching. And that's just yeah, so powerful. He's very good at that. Yeah. And if
0: you're all intrigued, the DVD is available at a <laughs> Book and single Book. Online now <laughs> uh, at yeah, stores. It, it really is. Yeah. So that's great. Um, and then you have now, again, classic Jason Hewlett, you've taken this and you've started teaching. If, if there are people who are listening to this who think that whether it's their son, their brother, or themselves, their sister, whatever, would be really great at creating a career in... Either entertaining or in speaking, you now have gone a long way to empower people to that. Tell us a little bit about the the classes you teach.
1: Well, I started getting the same questions from everybody. <laughs> you know, yeah. how do I get started? How do I make money? What do, do I, I do? How and do I I, myself. I yeah. actually, Sean, a couple of years ago, I I found out that the hours I spent were fifty hours a week mentoring True. people for free. Wow. And I was wondering why my business was suffering financially. And then when my wife and I looked at the numbers, she said, you're spending all your time answering questions for these sweet people that you're trying to help. And unfortunately, some people when, when, you know, Things
0: are worth what you pay for it to some people because I remember some entertainers who would go back to you every single year and say, how do I get going? That's right. What's next? And they go to you like every year. Then they would employ not one single thing you would tell them.
1: That's right. Yeah, and that's what's frustrating when you're handing it out for free. And so uh, eventually I just said, okay, I could take all that I've told people and put it into a course. How to make a career from the stage. This is very simple. There are these three principles and then there's this modules. And and yeah, it's turned into a nice online course, 60 plus page workbook, a couple hours worth of videos of how to market yourself, et cetera, et cetera. The next one I'm working on is called uh, Stagecraft and Presence. How to Be Great on Stage. Nice. And I have hours and hours and hours upon hours of material for this. So I'm putting that together right now. So if someone wants to take your first online course, where do they go? jhetraining.com. J-H-E. Yeah, like Jason Hewlett Entertainment.
0: Jason Hewlett Entertainment. Yeah. jhetraining.com. Yeah. And they can check it all out there. That's awesome. Uh, Before we wrap up, I've got a couple more questions. One, tell us about your children. Because I know your kids are your world to you.
1: uh I, yeah I have I have four kids. My daughter Ella is 11. Redford is 10, Romney is nine, and Royal is five. Yeah, look at that span. four kids,
0: <laughs> five to eleven. We,
1: yeah, we actually had four and five years. That's how that yeah. worked out. We didn't know how that happened. <laughs> That's amazing. People are like, why are you so angry?" I'm like, look <laughs> at my kids <laughs> <laughs> And so these and, kids are my favorite teachers. You know, They're my best friends. Beautiful kids. I talk about, uh, well, lots of people talk about quality time. I talk about quantity time equals quantity uh, quality time. Yeah. And so people are like, oh, that's interesting. I say, we need to spend as much time as we possibly can.
0: Yeah, tell, tell us what you did this summer. Because <laughs> you're a glutton for punishment. <laughs> remember, the, <laughs> remember the ages of these kids when he tells you what they did this summer.
1: Yeah, we, were, we went on a about an eight-week road trip across the country through the south, through the, all the southern states. Because two years ago, we did the northern states. So we did all the way across from Utah all the way up to New York and Palmyra, went to the pageant, and then back from, you know to D.C. and you know, back across. So then this year, we did the southern states. Now, the southern states in the summer is a bad idea. <laughs> in an RV. <laughs> but I had a gig in Orlando, and so I said, okay, we're going to book it around this. So we went all the way across the country. And right before we left, my RV had a problem and it couldn't be fixed. And so I went to the showroom and bought a brand new one. Like the day before you left, Uh pretty much. Yeah. And hooked it up and pulled out of the parking lot. And the next thing we know, the couch falls out of the floor. And the kids are like, (laughs) Daddy! And I'm like, gosh, dang it! (laughs) And then the fridge door falls off. And I'm like, what am I doing with my life? (laughs) <laughs> but we drove across the whole country until yeah. the point where uh, about week six, the uh, generator stopped working in Dallas oh, in July. <laughs> Dallas in July. Oh, And generator means air conditioning, air conditioning for yeah, the children cooling. in the back. Sure. And then one night, the slide outs wouldn't go out. So we had to sleep, like you know, all crumpled up on the couches. On, on the couches. And I said, oh. guys, it'll take us 30 hours. I'm just going to drive home are you okay <laughs> and they go yes please you know? please so as we raised crumpled out. into a ball on the couch they're all sitting in their underwear <laughs> with fans on you
0: know? <laughs> roll down the windows daddy
1: so we drove as fast as we could from dallas through albuquerque up to salt lake and it, um, it really shifted our trip but
0: uh. uh jason has written some incredible blogs about these experiences and i really really recommend you go to jasonhewlett.com. And uh, check it all out. He's, it's so funny, some of the experiences you've had. Um, the last question I want to ask about you, and then I've got one final question we ask all our guests. Um, please tell our audience about cheating on your wife.
1: <laughs> so I was at Target you know, like any man would be alone and confident in himself. Not, not, not creepy at all. <laughs> not cre- and I'm running through the store getting as many manly things as I could. You know, sardines, beef jerky, <laughs> a you know. And so as I'm gathering these things, <laughs> I see the shortest line of only two people. And so I go and run up to check out there. And then I look up and I see a blonde. And I, in a split second, I'm like, that's a beautiful wow. And then I went, oh, my heck. That's Tammy. That's my wife. That's my wife. <laughs> I didn't know she was there. I didn't know she'd gotten ready that day. You know, like, I didn't know what she was doing that day. Mm. I was on my way to a, a gig and a trip. And so I uh, I, I looked at her. And I tried to text her and be like, hey, I'm right behind you. There was a person between us. And she was up at the counter digging through her purse for coupons. And I and I said, oh, she's not responding to the text. So then I was like, maybe I should do the Raptor and jump up like, <laughs> You know, be proud. (laughs) And she runs out of the store. (laughs) And so instead of doing all that, I just stood there and looked at her, and and I thought, this is the most beautiful person I've ever seen. Mm. This is my favorite person. She's beautiful on the outside, but she explodes beauty from the inside. And I and it was like I saw her with fresh eyes. Yeah. And it was as if I'd seen her for the first time, you know. And so that's what I say is I, uh, when we see those that we love with fresh eyes, we can be grateful for the light in our lives. And and this thing went crazy viral. I posted it on Facebook because I took a little picture of so it. So the reason
0: the reason I said tell us about cheating on yeah. your wife is because what you wrote was today I cheated on my wife – because you looked at this That's woman, right. you didn't know it was her, yeah. and you thought, what kind of lucky guy is with her? That girl is stunning. Wow. Yeah. You had that thought go through your head, then you realized it was your wife.
1: Right, so yeah. I and was then, being very yeah. facetious
0: when I said <laughs> cheating on your wife. So but,
1: that was the cheating line, and that was yeah. the hook, I guess. Yeah. I didn't realize it was such a great hook, but I just wrote it. So you just put it up on Facebook just as, yeah. hey, here's a
0: cool experience I had. I, Where did it go from there?
1: I put it up on December 1st, and by the 3rd, we... Uh, we were on the Today Show and People Magazine. My name was trending above Kim Kardashian's the day she had a baby. Like, it was crazy. Yeah. And I mean, people were freaking out. I was freaking out. I, I didn't sleep for about 100 hours because there were so many phone calls, so much interest in this guy who talked about cheating on his wife. And then it turned into this keeping a promise story. And yeah. uh, a man who's in love with his wife and just oogling over her and saying yeah. how wonderful she is. So, yeah, this thing went crazy viral. And 100, 100 million plus people have read it. And it's... it's 100 million. Yeah, it's pretty... Gosh. And so, you know... All from a Facebook post. Of all the things I do with my face, my voice, <laughs> my my talents, if you will, air yeah. quotes. My gosh. It was a writing that was just innocent about my wife. Yeah the world kind of knows me for if if at all but i'm just saying that was a fascinating experience it was it was disturbing in some ways because you know you get too famous too quick yeah but luckily it was like a 15 minute thing it was
0: my the funniest ones because i you know obviously were friends on social media we're like three days later with 100 million views or whatever and people were forwarding it to you that i could see and saying, jason have you seen this <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I happen to notice it. So (laughs) yeah. But you know, I think it was the simplicity. I think that this world is missing that a lot. I think that the world has become in many ways, what sells is what's cynical or what's flashy and a simple moment where a man notices how beautiful his wife is and kind of catches himself and then takes the time to write about it is unique.
1: well thank you something
0: special and
1: you know that's where the promise came out of was that yeah because people were shocked to hear that i would be talking about it and you know some people are like well do you tell her do you tell her how much you love her or do you just post it on facebook and i'm like well Well, yeah i'm i I tell her i tell her at night i I mention it occasionally (laughs) no she's Uh, a prop in my stories (laughs) and so i say you know i say promises are proclamations yeah. You know, tell each other what you think of, of how much you appreciate and love them. No. But we we never get sick of a standing ovation. Gosh, no. <laughs> Heavens no. No
0: entertainer is sick of I, I I I I'll be very excited to get one someday. Yeah. I'll hope. I'll hope that and then I won't get tired of it once they start. The um, Sean
1: Rapier presidential I, speech is I, the greatest <laughs> thing in the world. Someday is, they'll all know it.
0: Yeah. Well that is good times nothing but good times so now you you kind of split your time giving keynotes occasionally mcing for a few companies doing your amazing performance you're writing now you're working on some books you're doing original music you're kind of a renaissance man jason you really <laughs> are so it's inspiring and you're making everyone around you better and that that to me you know when people see you live and then they find out that you're my friend they you know they want to know a lot about Uh, that talent side of you. But the thing I always tell people is Jason Hewlett is one of the best human beings you'll ever meet. And I think that your mark, people will always remember seeing you perform, but your mark on this world is your wife. It's your children. It's people whose lives. And like I said, you tirelessly promoted me tirelessly. I spent a few days writing with you. And then for years,
1: it was fun man. for
0: years you, you're uh, easy to promote. You promoted me. Yeah. I and love your stuff. I love your act. So um thank you. I always I always close with uh one final question. And it's open to total interpretation because <laughs> it's a it's a big question and it can be whatever you think the question means. What do you love about being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints?
1: I love the fact that wherever I go, I'm the different person in the room. And that makes it fun because I use that in my speech. I mean, I say, I'll say a line, I'll be like in front of 10,000 people in New York. I'll say, hey, everybody, I'm from Utah. I guess you just naturally assume I'm a skier. <laughs> <laughs> and people will yell out Mormon, you know, and I'll <laughs> skier. They're like, ah! And then I go, I'm just kidding. I don't ski, but my wives do. And they're ah! And then I say, I'm kidding. They don't have skis. And then I go through this thing where oh, I talk fantastic. about the importance of embracing who we are. Yeah. The importance of <laughs> keeping that promise to ourselves. And so what I'm, what I'm saying is, uh, being what does it mean to be a member of the church to me? Uh, it means everything. Like it's, it's what's helped define my life. It's what's driven where I've gone. It's what has afforded me to marry the most wonderful person in the world, to have these children. Uh, 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 I do one paid gig and one free gig every time. One Mm. paid, one free. Why? Because that's my gift back. Wow. And so if I get paid a lot of money, I'm going to go speak to a youth group for free. And that's very, very... Something that has driven my entire life, and I'm, I uh, I have a rich heritage of being a Mormon. You know, my we go way back with pioneers, and Ooh. my great grandpa on my dad's side, he was the president of the Tabernacle Choir for thirty years. Wow! Won their first Grammy with him, uh, I, I, and on my mom's side, her mom used to write road shows. Mm-hmm. Remember the road show? I was in a few road shows. I and, wrote a road and show. And you once. did, and oh, yeah. so she wrote road shows. She would take, she would take hymns and write parodies to the hymns. So think about where I've <laughs> come. So this is in your DNA. In I did not DNA. know that. I know this is in your DNA. Yeah. This is a very interesting thing to think about. How if we're willing to embrace what we've got, what makes us unique, mm. what makes us different or weird, whatever I, I I refer to it as, and we couple that with the spirit. Oh my gosh, we can do incredible things. And I'm, I, I am so grateful to be a member of this church. I'm proud of it. I promote it. I tell everyone about it. And they all ask me so many questions. Yeah. Cause they're like, wait, you can be funny and do that? And And be Mormon? Yes. Yes, you can.
0: Well, Jason, thank you. That was, that was incredible. You are, uh, you really are a Renaissance man. You are, uh, uh, just a, a great servant I think and, and I think that if you get around Jason's circle you talk to half the entertainers in Utah they will tell you that Jason Hewlett had massive impact in their lives I know you've had it in my life and I uh, just love you like a brother and thank you so much for coming on the show today i man. It.
1: proud of you this show is so great thank you
0: What a great guy Jason is. Wasn't he just amazing? I uh, really hope you'll take the chance to go to show notes and there are links to all kinds of his videos and kind of his website, his history. And, uh, that's all at latterdaylives.com. He is just an amazing guy. Thank you, Jason, so much for coming on the show. I just really appreciate it this week in my Latterday life. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about, uh, lunch with a friend that I was, uh, not able to go to, um, it's an interesting juxtaposition because uh, before we recorded, Jason and I met for lunch. Jason Hewlett and I did. And we sat and we laughed and we talked. And Jason and I always get fairly philosophical with each other, too. Um, he gives me great advice, and I always feel inspired by him. And I often get together with friends to go out to lunch. It's just such a, uh, such a great activity, something to get together, break bread, and have great conversation And what we're going to be talking about is a little bit heavy. If you're listening in the car with children, I might recommend that you save this for a little bit later. A little bit of discretion is recommended, but I feel strongly about sharing this. A few years back, um, a few friends of mine and I started up a company. It was a Bluetooth speaker company, and uh, it grew really fast. It was a great company, and we hired a receptionist such a sweet young lady she was uh, a mother of two single mother she had been through a rough divorce and she just had this great glow about her i really enjoyed working with her and we had some great conversations it always made me feel old cuz after we'd talk she'd say gosh you're like a father figure for me <laughs> and uh, just a, a sweet young lady and i'd bump into her from time to time we ended up selling the company and i left and and we'd run into each other every now and again and and she's just this This great soul. Well, uh, I got a call about two months ago from her and she said, oh, I'm getting married again. And she said, I'm so sorry, but I forgot to include you on the list and I didn't send you an invitation to the wedding. And she said, but I'd really like it if you'd come. Well, unfortunately, the wedding was three days later and I was going to be out of town on business. There was no way to make it. But I told her how just thrilled I was for her that she had found such a good guy and she just seemed so happy and everything seemed to be going well. We talked for about a half hour, just caught up on everything and, and I wished her well. And at the end, I said, I'll tell you what, why don't we get the old gang together and we'll all take you out to lunch to celebrate your wedding since I can't make it. And that way we'll, we'll all go out, we'll celebrate with you and that'll be great. And she said, Sean, I would absolutely love that. And then as people do, I kind of put it to the back of my mind. And I didn't set up that lunch. And then this last uh, weekend, I uh, got a call from a mutual friend of ours asking if I had heard what happened. And unfortunately, this sweet young lady, uh, who uh, I just grew to love so much, there was apparently a lot going on in her life and, and in her mind, and she decided to take her own life. She left behind uh, two beautiful daughters and a new husband, and uh, it was just a true tragedy. Friday, I spent uh, the better part of the afternoon at her funeral and mourning her loss with some of our friends and thinking to myself, you know, I told this young lady we were going to go to lunch and that we were going to celebrate her, and uh, Jason talks about the promise and I think too often in my life, I make empty promises. Uh, you know, yeah, let's call each other. Let's get together, whatever it is. And um, I'm old enough and hopefully wise enough to believe that one lunch wasn't going to make enough of a difference um, in her life. She she had a lot happening, I found out. But um, maybe it would have made that difference for me and for the rest of us. And who knows what it could have done for her. I think Jason's, um, Jason's message of the promise is important. As I've gotten older, I keep telling people that the only two things that matter anymore are people and the gospel. And by people, I mean family and friends and those we love and just serving our fellow man. What I realized this weekend after uh, losing a friend was that they are the same thing family, friends, the gospel, that it all goes together, that uh, if we truly love the Lord and want to serve him, as he said, feed my sheep, I wish I could go out to lunch with her just one time to tell her how much she uh, means to me and uh, to all of her friends as I sat in a packed chapel of people sobbing. Um, I hate to end it on a sad note, but that's what's happening in my latter-day life. And sometimes I think all of our latter-day lives are happy and sometimes they're sad. This is just how life is. Um, If anyone listening to this show is having any kind of thoughts about suicide, um, there's a wonderful reference uh, for you. Uh, It's lds.org slash preventing suicide. Please go there. If you're having any thoughts at all, or reach out to someone, reach out and talk to someone. And if you feel like there is no one you can talk to, my email address is sean at latterdaylives.com. We are also on Facebook and you can send me an instant message. And I don't care if I don't know you, it doesn't matter to me. Please just reach out to me or reach out to someone because you are loved and you would be missed. And suicide is a Tremendously sad thing. Again, sorry to end on a sad note there, but that's what's happening in my latter day life. I'm grateful for the gospel, I'm grateful for the atonement, and I'm grateful for the hopefulness that was in that funeral, because I think without it, uh, it would have been even much sadder. Folks, that's uh, our episode this week, and I just want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank my guest, Jason Hewlett, again, and again, thank you so much for the support. If you enjoy the show, We sure appreciate it uh, if you would share it. Uh, It means a lot to us. Our listenership every single week, I am just astonished by how many new listeners we get. Uh, We get more Facebook likes, more follows. We just love it. Um, We appreciate it. Again, my email address is sean, S-H-A-W-N, at latterdaylives.com. All the show notes, and you can also stream the show live from latterdaylives.com. Social media, we're on Twitter at Latterday Underscore Lives Facebook. It's just Facebook.com slash Latterday Lives Podcast and Instagram. If you search for Latterday Lives, you'll find it, but it's Ladder underscore day underscore lives. Folks, the gospel's true. If there's one thing that came out of conference for me this weekend and the emotional events of uh, the past week, it's that it's all true. And I'm grateful for it. And someday We'll uh, we'll be able to be all all of us reunited. But until then, there's a great big beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it.
1: Thanks for listening.